Last week, when we were sharing, I was being a little transparent and uh, sharing some stuff that was going around our kitchen table. And uh, one of the things that I, I let you guys know about was uh, when the, the time when my wife called me a rhinoceros a couple weeks ago. Got a lot of feedback from that, including this heads up that um, the Pioneer Press the very next day had this headline. <laughs> Saving Minnesota rhinos. Oh, we rhinos need saving. We do. Because um, what my wife was talking about, for those of you who weren't here, what she was talking about is there, there are times where I trample over people. And, and I don't want to do that. I need, I need help. I don't want to trample over people, so I need someone to help me with that. And, and rhinos, they can be blind to things that others can see. And I don't want to be blind to things others can see. And rhinoceroses have really thick skin. And I don't want to be insensitive you know, when I should be sensitive. And so we need saving. We do. And that's true, not just of me. Is there anyone else in here honest enough to say, hey, you need some saving from yourself too sometimes? All right. Yeah, we can, we can, we can be honest. It, we all do. Because we all have, have things that, that are true of our lives that, that we wish weren't true. You know, decisions that we have made in the past that we wish we wouldn't have made. And then things that we continue to do. You know, things that come naturally to us. In fact, that's this whole series that we've been in. We, we started a series several weeks ago called Simple Ways to Wreck Your Life. And one of the reasons we spent several weeks on this is that wrecking your life is really simple. It is really simple to wreck your life. In fact, it comes naturally. You will naturally do things to undermine the life that you really want. You'll say things that you regret. You'll make choices that you're like, what was I thinking? You'll forget about things that really, really matter, that are really, really important. We, there, there are all kinds of simple things that we can do to wreck, wreck our lives. Well, three weeks ago, our focus was on what we called secret sins. You know, one of, one of the temptations that we have in, in this life is to just keep everything hidden that is dark about us. And you can wreck your life by having full disclosure all the time, telling people too much of what they don't need to know. But you can also wreck your life by not finding a couple close people that you can be honest with, that can enter into what you're dealing with and help you. And you can really get into trouble when you, you try to keep secrets from God, who, who already knows anyway, and not to just come clean before him and, and confess these things and, and all that. And one of the points we made is that it's far better to choose your moment of truth than to have it thrust upon you. Because the truth is going to come out. The truth is going to come out. That's how life works. So, so that was one of the things we looked at three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Tim Anderson did a great job about talking about the dangers of protecting our comfort zone. There's a temptation, an easy thing that, that we, we try to do, and that is that we try to protect our comfort zone. And Tim did a great job of walking us through how when we step out of our comfort zone in God-honoring ways, that's very important, when you step out of your comfort zone in God-honoring ways, we collide. We collide with people. We collide with experiences. We collide with situations that God can use. To, to broaden our horizons, to make us stronger people and all these types of things. So, so I think that was an important principle that, that we looked at, that God can use these collisions that happen when we step outside our comfort zones. He can use them to change us and then use us then to change the world. So we looked at that. Then came last week. Our topic last week was marriage. And uh, we pressed into the danger of just coasting, of, of letting time go by without consciously pouring into the relationship. We talked about how dangerous that is because we have these love buckets we talked about and they leak. And if we're not consciously pouring into those buckets, 
we're going to find you know our relationship gets empty and it gets it gets um, it gets painful. So so we talked about that. Well, over the course then of these these weeks we've been in this, I, I think some of these things we've been looking at have been countercultural and they've been counterintuitive. A lot of what we've looked at is not the direction that you will naturally go if you just follow what everybody else is doing or or just do what you always think you know seems good to you. So of all of the ones though, um, I give this introduction for today because all of those things that, that we've looked at so far, none of them are more counterintuitive or more counter, countercultural than the one we're going to look at today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up together to the book of Ecclesiastes. We haven't cracked this one uh, much um, as a church, in, in part because it's a very difficult, difficult uh, book. It's the one where uh, Solomon writes about how meaningless life is. So what do you do with that? But, uh, but here's a passage, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. And here's how it's rendered in uh, the New Living Translation. It says this. I'm just reading it. I didn't make this up. It says this. Better to spend your time at what? Funerals than where? Parties. Better to spend your time at funerals than parties. All right. Let's have a test of how honest you can be in a public setting. Come on. I told you I was a rhino, so... The least you can do is indulge me here. Um, with a show of hands, how many of you would say, this does not seem to fit my experience? All right. Pretty safe, right? It, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to fit my experience. In fact, going back to my earliest memories, my earliest memories of parties are good ones. My earliest memories of death are not. I went digging uh, into one of my photo boxes as I was thinking and reflecting on this whole idea and applying it to my life, and I found a couple pictures uh, the picture on your left is a three-year-old me, and that is a party picture. Uh, that is me at uh, a, my three-year-old birthday party with my grandma, Ida, who also shared my same birthday. She was born before me, in case you're wondering, but, but we shared the same birthday. And, and there we are having a party, and I loved going to Grandma Ida's house. She lived up north. And so we, it would, we'd have to make a big trip of it. We'd go up there, and we'd, we'd stay overnight, piled all into the vans, headed up north, and... And we'd stay there, and it was a blast. They lived on a farm, and so uh, and, and a bunch of my when when you're when you're farmers, um, a lot of times farmers they marry early and they have a lot of kids, and uh, so up there up north we've got all these my relatives you know most of them live up there and I've got something like forty to sixty first cousins. And so we'd go up north, and we got to hang out with our cousins and spend time with Grandma. We got to sleep in sleeping bags on the floor, and, and she made molasses cookies. I don't know if you've ever had molasses. How many have had molasses cookies? That many of you have had molasses cookies? That's, she's the only, the only time I've ever had molasses cookies with Grandma Ida's. So anyway, all this to say parties at Grandma Ida's were a blast. Loved them. Well, the other picture is a picture that I associate with death. And some of you have heard this story before. Um, that's a picture of me with a, I'd say a bunny, but I'm, you know, I'm a rhinoceros, so I couldn't have had a bunny as a guy. I had a rabbit. I had a rabbit. That's a lot more manly, right? Uh, I had a, had a rabbit. Well, we grew up on this little farm and, and had rabbits on, on the farm. And one day, I remember the day well, it was a cold, cold day, and I went out to see my rabbit. And I went out to the shed where we kept the rabbits, and my rabbit was not responsive. In fact, my rabbit was doing this. You know, that was my rabbit. And so in my little brain, my little, whatever I was, four or five-year-old brain, I was thinking, okay, this is not right. This is not what rabbits usually do. 
um, something's wrong here. And I thought, it's cold outside. Rabbit is frozen. Rabbit's frozen. Okay, okay. What do I do now? What does my mom do when she wants to thaw something out? Well, we didn't have microwaves back in that day. Thank <laughs> the Lord, literally. Um, but, but I remember what she would do is she would take like hamburger, she'd put it in the sink and run warm water over it. So I thought, I'm going to, I got to bring my rabbit, get it unfrozen, you know, so we can play. So I, I, I put, put rabbit in the sink, you know, turned on the water, not too hot, not too cold. And I'm, I'm standing there waiting for rabbit to thaw out. <laughs> and my mom comes in and we had a little teachable moment, a little teachable moment about death, you know, and, and that was not a fun day. That was not a fun day. I would much rather be at Grandma Ida's, eating molasses cookies, playing with my cousins, you know, than finding out that if I thaw out my rabbit, it's only going to smell bad and, and not play with me. You know, and, and as time went on, you, you certainly have other experiences with death. And as time goes on, you have, um, you have experiences where, you know, where a friend dies or a friend's parent dies, and then people close to you die. And I was reflecting. In fact, I've got faces for every one of these situations of, of funerals. We're only five years old as a church, you know. Not even that. We're just over four years old as a church. And already, um, we've, we've, we've been together at a lot of funerals. And uh, as a church family, we've, we've buried grandparents. And we've buried parents. And we've buried friends and coworkers. And we've buried brothers. And we've buried sisters. And even children. Even our own children. And as I think about those moments, as important as they are, I'd rather be at a party. You know, I'm there because, you know, that's where we need to be. But you know what I mean? You're drawn to the party. So, so what is this passage talking about? I mean, is it, what's going on here? Well, let's dig into the text a little bit and let's see if we can understand that. What value is there in this? So if you have your Bibles, it's open back up uh, to... Ecclesiastes 7. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to switch translations. I love the readability of the translation that I was using, but it's more of a paraphrase. This is a little more literal translation, and let's look at it a little more literally. Let's see if we can, um, with the time we have, try to understand what the Scripture is trying to say here. Why is it saying that we should go to funerals? All right? And it says this. I'm going to go, now I'm going to do verses 2, 3, and 4. It's better to go in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Okay, there is so much richness here. I, I wish we had time to unpack everything. But like most Sundays, we can, we can just mine this a little bit. So let's, let's, let's uh, dig into it a, a, a tiny bit. Um, the contrast here that's, that's being made, and you, you probably already saw this, the contrast here, in, is, as you look at it a little more literally, the contrast is not between um, joy and sadness. The, 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 the point being made here is not um, wise people are never sad or are always sad. The point is not wise people are always sad and, and, and fools are always happy. That, that's not the point. It's a much more specific contrast than that. The specific contrast is that foolish people, foolish people are, are just going to party in the house of mirth. 
And wise people, wise people, they don't distance themselves. They don't intentionally avoid um, a house of where there's mourning. Now, mirth, it's a great translation if you understand the English word, which I didn't. Uh, so I had to look it up. I'm like, what is mirth? Mirth is a, is a, is a word that, that ascribes or describes joy, but even more than that. It's a joy that's associated with laughter. It's a, it's a, a merriment. If you think of people who are merry, uh, that, that might be a, a better uh, word or a word that would work too. So, so it's not just happy. It's, it's this, you know, laughter, joy, I guess you could say party, you know, so that's the mirth word. Now the mourning word is not just talking about being sad about something. It's, it's specifically a, a, a mourning associated with death. It's specifically referring to death here. Uh, let's take a little look at the Hebrew a little bit. The Hebrew word that is translated here into mourning is a very specific word. Uh, if you were to look at your English translations of the Bible and you come across the word mourning, it's not always using this word. This is a, a pretty specific word. It's associated with a ceremonial mourning, generally, not always, but generally, a mourning period or mourning rituals. Um, here's some examples of where this Hebrew word is used. Uh, Genesis 27:41, where it says, The days of mourning for my father are near. Or Genesis 50, uh, 11. That, that says a, it talks about a solemn ceremony of mourning. In fact, the three words ceremony of mourning are the words used to translate the one Hebrew word. Uh, Deuteronomy 34.8 says uh, it uses the word in this thought until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And then 2 Samuel 14.2 is another place where this is used where they talk about mourning clothes. So they are, they're, this, they're clearly talking about death here. So there's clearly a, a contrast specifically between a house of mirthiment and a, and, a, and, and, a, and a house where there's mourning, mourning over death. Well, as I look at what, what the passage really is saying, if we were to go back to that other translation I was using, uh, I think they do a really good job of summarizing the idea in how they paraphrase Ecclesiastes 7.4. Um, the way they paraphrase it, I think it's, it's good. They say, and there's a place to write this in your notes, by the way, a wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. So here's a question, and let's do a show of hands on this one too. How many of you want to be wise? Not all of you? Because <laughs> then we need to talk about wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing. It really is. And if you want to be wise, what is one way the Bible says, or one thing that wise people do? What, what, what's one thing that wise people do? Say it out loud. Think about death. One thing. Not, this isn't the only thing wise people do. But one thing that wise people do is they think, and it says a lot about death. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, again, let's put another disclaimer out there. I came across this quote that I think did a really good job of, of, of explaining what they're not saying by this. Um, this passage that we just read is attributed with most sources to a person named Solomon, a, a historical figure, a real person. He was one of the kings of Israel. Uh, the scripture says of him that he was the wisest person to have ever lived. So the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words down. And, and here's what it says, um, that Solomon, he's not encouraging us to think morbidly. You know, it's not about, it's not about just, oh, if you're, having a, if you're happy, there's something wrong with you. Get sad about something. Or, or to just think, I'm going to die, and there's nothing I can do about it, and I should just you know, be depressed about that. That's not the point. 
Solomon knows it's helpful to think clearly about death. It reminds us we still have time to change. We have time to examine the direction of our lives. We have time to confess our sins and find forgiveness from God. So a wise person, when they think about death, they're able to go, wait a minute, time is precious. What am I doing with the time that I have? Now, for the record, I mentioned this a little earlier, Ecclesiastes is a, is a challenging book, to say the least. And it might be easy for you to dismiss, oh, well, that's the same book that says life is meaningless, so maybe this is just part of that. Well, you could make that point except for the fact that Jesus himself affirms this concept. Here's an, here's an example of a passage we've looked at before here for other things. Um, but look at, look at the similarities in the teaching here. It says this in Luke chapter 12, that Jesus told folks a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, it's funny to me. I'll say to myself, self, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and be merry. Murphy. But God said to him, what, lang- what, what does God say to him? Sound at all like what we just read? God said to him, fool, fool, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And all the things you prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself or herself, and they're not rich towards God. You know, this person, from a worldly standpoint, he's being wise. He's planning for his retirement. But if your future planning stops at retirement, you fool, fool. So Jesus, he's, he, he, he calls the person who is focused only on this life a fool. And if you want to live like a fool, don't think about death. Don't think about death. Think only about this life. But again, how many wanted to be wise? Get all the hands up this time, okay? Because you do want to be wise, even if you don't think you want to be wise. You want to be wise. Um, if you want to be wise, one of the things to do is to think about death. There was a pastor who did a good job of helping um, a lot of folks with this. Uh, he's a pastor down in Texas, and he and his wife wrote this book. It's called One, one Month to Live. Anyone heard of this heard of this book? Not, No. Um, it, it's New York Times bestseller. You don't read all the New York Times bestseller? Uh, this book, the reason I'd even ask that is um, almost every large growing church has done a series on this at, at some point. One of the reasons it connected with so many people is that it, it provides a sense of urgency to do the things we really want to do anyway. Um, in this book, what, what, he, what they call our attention to is they said, imagine, imagine if you knew you only had one month to live. How would you live? And again, what, what, what the, 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 um, the beauty of this book is, is that it provides this urgency for us to live the life that we really want to live, to love the way we want to live, to, to live the way we want to live, to do the things that we want to do. For a wise person, death is the great clarifier. For a wise person, death is a great clarifier. When you're faced with your own mortality, you start to realize... What am I doing with this one and only life? And am I saying the things that I really want to say? And am I doing the things that I really want to do? And am I treating the people that I care about the way I want to treat them? And am I not doing things that really don't matter anyway? It's the great 
clarifier. Here's, um, here's how they put it in, in their book. Uh, here's, here's a little kind of summary that they included. They said this, I know so many people whose favorite day of the week is when? Someday. Someday's right now. Consider how you would view time differently if you knew your last day was just a calendar page away. Like a billionaire who suddenly discovers he's down to his last $100, you would immediately stop taking your time for granted. You'd be aware of how much time you spent every minute. You would want each of them to be rich with enjoyment, significant investment in others. They continue on. Time once spent cannot be reclaimed. Once an hour, a minute, a moment is over. It's gone forever. However, we can redeem the remaining time we have. We can reconsider our God-given purpose and the eternal legacy that we want to leave behind and allow them to guide our schedule moving forward. Isn't that well said? Here's, here, for those of you who are visual, and when you see all those words, or if you're not there, I'll just... Words. Here's, here's what a funeral does for a wise person. That's what a funeral does for a wise person. For a wise person, it, it, it reminds us our time is limited. And are we making the most out of it? Are we, and, that, and when I say that, I don't mean in a frantic sense. I mean just in an intentional sense. Are we prioritizing the things that should be prioritized? Are we letting things go that really don't matter? Are we accumulating stuff that you're the only one that's going to want it? You know? When you're dead. Are we investing in the people that we want to invest in? Are, are we leaving a legacy that, that goes on beyond us? That's what it does. It, it flips the hourglass. A wise person goes home from a funeral with a conscious awareness that time is limited. And they love today like it could be their last. And they live today like it could be their last. So what I would encourage you to write down if you want to be a wise person. I'd encourage you to write this down. And you might be wiser than me and have better language. But somehow to yourself, get this point across. What mortality memory cues do you have in place? As a wise person, what is triggering you from time to time to reflect on your life? You know, some of you, it may be every week. You, you pause before you get into your day and you have some sort of life mission statement or something like that. For, for some of you, it might be a couple times a year thing. For some of you, um, it might be a, the Tim McGraw song. You listen to that once a month. That live like you're dying. Went skydiving. That one. Uh, that <laughs> I won't sing the whole thing for you. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, I don't know what it is. But but what as a wise person, what are you doing on a, on a on a semi regular basis to remind yourself that your time is short? You know, I, I was trying to make this as practical as I could, and I thought about you know I thought about how the scripture says our, our life is like a journey. The Apostle Paul in particular uses a, an analogy like a, a journey about this life that then goes on into eternity. And, and I thought about, you know, if you were going to another country, you'd be very intentional about preparing for that. So right now, think of a country, and it doesn't have to be one you want to go to, but think about a country that in your head you're going to be traveling to, okay? Because I want to have you say it out loud just so you can be with me on this. Got your country? Don't say Canada, Okay. Even though Canada's great, if you're Canadian, God bless you. All right, that's not my point. All right, so, so everybody got it? Okay, say it out loud. What's, what's your country? Okay. Now, for your country, if, if you have a date set, and this is the date I'm going to that country, you got some preparations to do, right? 
First and foremost, you got to make sure you're going to be able to get in to that country. You know, have you met all the requirements? Different countries have different requirements. Have you met those requirements? When you get to that country, are they going to let you in? And once you get in, what kind of accommodations are you going to have? When you think about that kind of a journey and you set a date, there's a sense of urgency of, hey, i got to prepare for that. And not only that, if you're going to be gone for a long length of time, you're consciously aware of, what, what am I doing about my stuff? You know, who's going to be taking care of what and, and, and all that. And if you're going to be gone, let's say, uh, multiple years, it's some kind of extended job thing, it's some kind of you know, mission experience or whatever, you're going to have a lot of things that you're going to want to say to people. You're going to want to have a lot of, you know, of things that you want to pass on to them. And, I, and you're wise people, so you're, you see where I'm going with this. What do funerals do? What do Tim McGraw songs do? What do hourglasses do, possibly? They remind us of, of an eternal destination. And have you made your peace with God? Because that day's coming. It's coming. Have you made your peace with God? And, and that's first and foremost. But then secondly, you know, those of you who are parents, are, are you intentionally passing along the legacy you want to pass on? Those of you who own companies or are in charge of stuff, are you, are, you, are you passing and instilling those values? Those of you who are in a relationship, does that person know that you love them? You know, are, are you doing the things are you loving the way you want to love? Are you living the way you want to live? Are you going to leave behind that legacy that, that you desire to live? Are you doing that? So the, one of the final questions I want to leave you with is, is this. What, in addition to what in your life does this reminds you that time is short, as important, probably more importantly, what in your life does this? What in your life reminds you to do that? To say, God, here is the one and only life that you've given me. Everything I have came from you. Everything I have belongs to you. Father, with the time that I have, how would you have me to spend it? How would you have me to invest it? What would you have me to do? How can I experience everything that you want me to experience in this life? You who holds our last breath, you know, who gave us breath. What in your life is doing that? Those are the questions that really matter, aren't they? Who wins the Super Bowl? So what? So what? I like football, but who, so, who wins so what? That question's not a big question. Where are you going to spend eternity? Big question. Who are you going to spend it with? Big question. What are you doing to, to, to really love folks? To really live as God would have you live? That, that's a big question. That's what questions, those are questions that matter. So what in your life is doing that? It's, it, I, um, I've, I've been sharing that I've been reading ahead. Um, I've been reading ahead uh, in starting in a couple weeks. A couple weeks we're going to be working our way through a lot of uh, writings by the Apostle John as we move towards Easter. Really excited for that. And one of the works attributed to the Apostle John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the book of Revelation. And it's interesting, in the book of Revelation, multiple times it mentions a book of life. A book of life. You know, and using our travel analogy that the Bible uses, 
you know, have you confirmed a reservation in that book? That's a big question. And, and what, I, what I love about John's works is that you have this body of work that, that all, you know, builds on itself and, and, and all this. And one of the things that he, he records Jesus saying in his book called John is, is this. Um, these are some of the most famous words you're going to hear anywhere in, on the planet. Not just, they're not some of the most often quoted just from the Bible. They're, they're some of the most quoted words anywhere. And there's a reason. Because look what it says. This amazing truth of amazing grace. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, is your name in that book? Well, is, is this true for you? Is this true for you? And my question for you is not, not did you pray a prayer back in the day? Or did you get baptized back in the day? Or, or any of the back in the day questions. When I look at the scriptures, the scriptures point us towards now and future. When we look back, we're to look back at God's faithfulness. Try looking at the scriptures sometimes. When as you look back, you look back at God's faithfulness. They don't have us look to a ritual or something that we necessarily just did once. They continue to point us, continually point us to the relationship. You know, and if there was a day where you, you put your trust in Jesus, praise God. How about today? Where's your trust? That's one of the beautiful things that a funeral could do. It can say, wait a minute, have I drifted from, from, from the life that I set out to live? You know? Do you, have you put your trust in, in Christ? You know, you might be saying, well, what does that mean? Let's, let's stick with the travel because of the travel analogy. Have you boarded the plane? Maybe you can look at it that way. Because belief, biblically, it's not just a head thing. We talk about this all the time. Biblical belief is not just an intellectual confirmation of something. The Word of God says demons believe in God and shudder. Biblical belief is a, is a I'm putting my faith in, I'm putting my trust in. So have, have, have you boarded the plane? You know, if you're trying, if you try to say, well, I kind of have, well, how can you kind of be at the airport and kind of be on the plane? Have you, have you boarded the plane? Have you said, okay, pilot, I'm going to put my trust in you. And there are going to be times where it's turbulent and I'm afraid, you know, but I'm not going to grab the chute and jump back out to my old life. I'm going to trust you, pilot, to take me where, where you want to go. Have you done that with God? Have you said to God, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm going to listen because pilots will come on, won't they? Once in a while, and they'll say, hey, do this or don't do that. Or it's okay to do this. It's not okay to do that. Hey, you might want to look out your window because we're passing over this thing. Buckle up because it's going to be a hard time ahead. You know? You in row 27, sit down, you know, whatever it is they got to say. Are you going to listen? Are you going to listen to that pilot? Hop on the plane. Say, take me. Take me where you want me to go. And one of the great things for those who have been flying with God is there are times where he, he gives you the steering wheel. <laughs> Scary as all get out. No, you try it for a while. Whoa, wait, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm with you. So whether he's saying, take the wheel, whether he's saying, buckle up, whether he's saying, sit down, you... Whatever it is, are you willing to yield your life to God? Scriptural language is repent. You know, are you willing to repent and say, that's, you know, that's leaving the airport behind? Are you willing to say, I renounce all else? You know? Am I going to follow? Jesus said, follow me. Are you willing to say, okay, without condition, I'll surrender to you? You know? As best I can understand it from the scripture, that's what I, I see when I say, do you believe in Jesus?
believe in him? And if the answer to that is I'm not sure, today would be a good day to put your trust in him. He's a good God. Today would be a good day to do that. So let's take a moment to do that. Before we move on, we're going to be gathering around the Lord's table here together and celebrating community. Before we do that, let's just take a moment for those who've never done that before if it, or, or, or aren't sure or whatever. Let's, 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 let's pray together. Father, those of us who, who do know you, um, well, first and foremost, we come and, and, and we apologize that we have not been great examples of that. Lord, thank you for the reminder today for myself, and I'm sure others would feel the same way of, of you know what? Wow, I've, I've drifted from that. I've drifted from that. I've drifted from that commitment that I made to you. Lord, thank you that you draw us back in. You continually draw us back in because this is where life is. So, Lord, we, we pray, those of us who, who, who have put our faith in you, we pray now for those who, whose hearts are beating fast or maybe a little nervous in their stomach or, or, or they're fighting against thoughts, you know, that their religion teacher fed into their head or their upbringing or whatever that would make them resistant to yielding to you. The Holy Spirit, um, you know, we, we acknowledge we can't convince anyone of anything, but Holy Spirit, we pray you would reveal yourself to them in such a way where they would trust you now in this moment. Father, we, we pray that, that you would enable them to renounce things um, that, are, that are serving as a God, that are serving as um, hindrances, that are, that are keeping them chained to the airport um, chair, Melly Lobby, you know, instead of getting on the plane. Lord, I pray that you'd identify those things in their life so that they could confess them to you and renounce them and ask that you would break the chain that they're not strong enough to break. Lord, we also pray that you would, you would call to them. Just even I'm picturing the airport thing and when it says, okay, now boarding, now boarding. Lord, call to them now. Call to them. May they hear your still small voice. Lord, silence all voices that are not of you. Call to them and help them to take that step. Lord, I pray right now that, that, there, are, there, are, that there would be people right now that could picture themselves at, at that, whatever that thing's called, that connecting tunnel thing that goes between the airport and the plane. Lord, let them see themselves stepping into the plane and let them see you welcome them and cheer them on. And may, in fact, God, give them this picture that's in my head right now that they, they walk in the door of the plane, they take that hard right, and all of a sudden, the, the plane erupts with cheering as those who've gone before and those who are trying to walk this journey together now are welcoming them in. Lord, do that. Help them not to be ashamed of anything because that's all still at the airport. You have, you have separated that from them, all of their past. Lord, help them to, to be ready and help them to excitedly go to their seat. Father, do that. Do that. And Lord, as, as they begin to fly, give them a new perspective of life, of what matters and who you are. And may that solidify, may that solidify the commitment now that, that through your spirit they're able to make. Lord, and don't let the enemy steal this from them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I want to share one, one more thing here and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into the time of communion. Um, when I was younger the thing that kept me on the plane was I was afraid to go to hell. You know? And, and I've said this before. I, I, growing up, I, I was much more concerned about not going to hell than I was excited about going to heaven. And one of the things that's happened is the more I've been reading the scriptures, you're not going to want to miss heaven. 
you're not going to want to miss heaven. And God is wise. God is, God is wise. And God is wise enough to say, um, include the reality of hell in, in the Bible so that those times where we need that, you know, we have, hey, 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 because we all need that. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a normal person, you need those reminders of, if you don't, you know, look, here are the consequences. We need that. But, but how much more so? Oh, is, is the wonder of heaven. I, um, I've had two dreams about heaven in my life. I'm 43 years old. I've only had two dreams about heaven. And one of them I had fairly recently, when you consider 43 years. It was in November. November 22nd, I think it was. Um, and here's, here's kind of what the dream was. Um, in, in my dream, there were these dwelling places. And we had our own dwelling places. But it was really interesting. In my dream, these dwelling places were very small and very simple. All I remember about the dwelling places is that it, there was kind of a door that you could go into, and there was um, there was a place to sleep, but it was very simple. And then there was a like a, a small kitchen. It had pots and pans. I remember pots and pans. And and I also remember though the, one of the things about these dwelling places is they faced each other. It was it was like um like a circle or a semicircle, and all the doors doors faced each other. And they talk about with dreams you. you some people say it's more about what you feel than what you actually see. And what I felt was that's on purpose because we're not supposed to cave. In heaven, we're not going to isolate ourselves. It's about community. And one of the reasons the houses are simple in my, my mind was, was, that, was that it's because it's about relationships and meeting folks. But then what, was, what was, that struck me even more than our little dwelling place was the horizon. And on one of the horizons, if I would have looked out to my left, well, first of all, the sky was just gorgeous. But then there was this silhouette of a great city. And I don't know if you've ever driven from eastern Colorado towards the mountains. But when you drive from eastern Colorado to the mountains, you start to see the mountains come up. And then there's a silhouette of these huge mountains. This dwarfed that. This city skyline dwarfed the mountains. And so that was on this side. And I remember there's this part of me that was like, I can't wait to go explore that city. I can't wait. And then on my right, on my right side, there was this tree. And I can't describe the tree very well other than it was a cross between a palm tree, a willow tree, and one of those Serengeti trees. Except it was the size of the city. And there was this part of me that was like, I can't wait to go that way and explore whatever it is that's out there. And I was, there was this deep, deep sense that I had in this dream of, oh man, heaven is going to be great. It's going to be great. And that's the invitation, you know, that God has for us as we remember our mortality. It's not a morbid thing. It's not a, oh no, I, I, this, that, or the other thing. It is, it is an, it's a wake up call to soak every drop out of life to love like you want to love, to live like you want to live, and then to prepare for the life that really waits for us. That's a reason why that song is such a classic, isn't there? Well, I know today's going to be a great day because someone had molasses cookies in their purse. <laughs> and so for me, this is going to be a great day. I got molasses cookies. We're going to be spending time together as a family. So I, I know my day is going to be a great day. My hope for you is that today is going to be a great day. That today is the day you're going to go back with a little more intentionality in your life. And you're going to say, to say something to somebody that you might not have said otherwise because of 
this amazing grace that God had to remind us that our time's short. And some of you are going to hug somebody today, you know, that you might not have hugged otherwise. And some of you are going to make decisions today. And my hope is some of you already made some huge decisions as you spend time with God today. So let's seal this time uh, together as we go our separate ways. Father, may this be a great day. May this be a day that first and foremost, angels rejoice because someone who was walking one way in the airport or was sitting on the chair wondering if they should decided to board that plane. Lord, may they feel the rejoicing from all of heaven and from those of us who are now brothers and sisters with them. May they be able to let go of the chains that held them in that chair and and may they be able to uh, let go of the life that they were living in the airport and may they now begin to uh, experience this new adventure that you've got for them. Speak clearly to them, God, as they begin to walk this out and, and help us to know how we can help Give them the courage to reach out and tell somebody who can help them. Lord, I also pray for all of us, um, that all of us today would, uh, would say something uh, that we might not have said, that we might take a step that we might not have taken, that we'll see something we otherwise might have missed. That this time you've given us would, um, would be rich and would honor you. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say Amen. See you next week.